This episode of the Short Side Option Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Manhattan Brewing Company. Manhattan Brewing Company is located at 406 Points Avenue in downtown Manhattan, Kansas. Quality, community, and education are Manhattan Brewing Company's three pillars, and we are super excited to have them back for their second year as the title sponsor of the Short Side Option Podcast. With nearly 20 years of collective experience in the craft beer industry, Jake, Adam, and Garrett are focused on brewing and serving high-quality craft beers in a family-friendly atmosphere in the heart of downtown Manhattan. Manhattan is their home, and they want to bring the best possible beer experience and education to the wonderful people of Manhattan, creating a place for everyone to come out and have a good time with friends and cultivate a craft beer culture that Manhattan can be proud of. Coming up tomorrow on September 9th, they'll have Stan Weber at the brewery for an evening with Stan Weber from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. Stan will chat with fans about K-State sports and raise awareness and funds for the Manhattan Walk to end Alzheimer's. The Pride of Wildcat Land will also make an appearance, so be sure to stop by the brewery for this great event. Also on September 15th, it's time for Oktoberfest at Manhattan Brewing Company. The final downtown MHK Third Thursdays is September 15th, and they are throwing an Oktoberfest celebration. They will be tapping a special cask of Fest beer on the patio to kick off the celebration. The streets of points will be shut down so you can walk around sipping on some delicious Fest beer while rocking out to the air guitar competition or checking out all the other great Third Thursday festivities. So bring your lederhosen and be ready for a party. Be sure to follow them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Manhattan Brewing and their website at www.mhkbeer.com to stay up to all uh, to stay up to date for all the latest events at the brewery. Great stuff there from the folks at Manhattan Brewing Company. And uh, we'll have a chance to chat with them next week uh, to learn about all the other events that they have going on here throughout the rest of the fall. Now it's time for D'Lo and I to look back at uh, K-State's 34-0 win against South Dakota and look ahead to K-State's big-time matchup with Missouri this Saturday. This is the short side option. to have you with us here on another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. It's the icon, it's D'Lo. As we look back at K-State's 34 win over the South Dakota Coyotes. Hey, how about that? I'm off to better start. Nailed it. Hey, what do you know? Uh, it, was a, it was a dominating performance. K-State gets the shutout uh, as the uh, are able to hold the Coyotes out of the end zone uh, on their final drive and to preserve the shutout. K-State wins the game 34-0, and, and me and D'Lo here are, are, are going to break it down and uh, go ahead and look ahead towards K-State's big matchup this weekend uh, with Missouri Tigers. So, D'Lo, I want to bring you in here. Uh, really a great way to start off the season. I mean, in, in terms of what you were hoping to see from K-State, we, t- we talked about two things. You want to obviously look impressive, and I think at times K-State did. The offensive passing game leaves, leaves something to be desired. But unfortunately, kind of the part, second part of that uh, uh, equation that we were hoping to see on Saturday was uh, come out of that game healthy. And uh, K-State didn't quite uh, ha- have the luck to be able to do that. Yeah, absolutely uh, brutal loss uh, with Taylor Potier uh, going down, the talented left guard for the Wildcats. Or right guard. Right guard, yes. excuse me. Um, guy who's been marred by injuries throughout his career, and this was supposed to be his big season to uh, – 
come out and kind of show uh, what he was made of. And, of course, another ACL tear for the big man, uh, which we really hate to see. Um, not only for him, but for the team. Because K-State is able to afford an injury, maybe two along the offensive line, but a season-ending injury in the first game of the season uh, starts to thin out those margins a little bit. So, obviously, terrible news there uh, for Taylor Potier. Um, and you hit it on the head. It's It was a uh, K-State took care of business, won by 34 points, got the shutout, but... It's called like it is. Some concerns on the offense, particularly with the passing game. We didn't really get to see what we were hoping to from Adrian Martinez in terms of, um, you know, just the electric play that we were all kind of sold on uh, in the offseason. You know, quiet day other than the long run from Malik Knowles. Otherwise, a quiet day from the receivers. Didn't get to see uh, R.J. Garcia, for instance, uh, come out and, and have a big day and, and flash. But otherwise, the running game looked like it picked up pretty much where it left off. I talked a little bit earlier about the Malik Knowles long run on the first play of the game. Deuce ends up with, what, 126 yards on the ground. So solid day at the office for that young man. Um, also got to see DJ Giddens come out and have a nice game uh, with six carries for 57 yards for the young man. Um, and so, all in all, run game, no concerns there. Uh, maybe the offense was keeping it vanilla. Maybe we, Adrian Martinez was just being ultra-conservative, trying to hold on to the ball. But really not a lot there in terms of the passing game to speak of. Um, and that's, that's really... Uh, coming out of that game, that's a little concerning. Yeah, you know, I think that that's a, you know, a... a the number one spot uh, in terms of the, I guess, the concern chart, so to speak, for K-State fans is, is this wide receiving group good enough to get get separation? Because really, they didn't have a whole lot of separation throughout the night. The the one time that K-State really did throw the ball down the field uh, was Adrian Martinez uh, trying to stretch the defense on a post route to Phillip Brooks. And the ball was thrown well, uh, you know, away from the defender's a little bit underthrown, so Phillip Brooks is the only guy that can make the play on that one. He had two guys on him, but they had their back turned, so Phillip Brooks was the only guy really looking at the ball. You want to kind of put that ball um, either way out in front or maybe either uh, a little bit underthrown, so that way he, when he's coming back, he maybe can draw a pass interference flag or, or be able to catch the, uh, catch the pass there, and he was uh, nearly able to do so. Uh, but really, you know, I mean, when I read the, the line for Adrian Martinez, 11 of 15 for 53 yards. That's not going to necessarily, uh, you know, light the world on fire. But he was, I thought, pretty accurate in the short game. Looked like he ha- had commanded that. But it's going to take more than 53 passing yards to uh, win in the Big 12 and, and certainly win against Missouri here on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, you know, we'll see whether or not that, that first game passing stuff was uh, – the real deal or not? Yeah, and, and I don't, and I certainly don't think it is. And this is why I'm not overly concerned about it, is because we've got four years of track record with Adrian Martinez. Now, obviously, in a different offense uh, at Nebraska, different receivers, different receivers. But you have to feel like K State's going to be able to get these guys open. I mean, we saw Skylar Thompson uh, be able to really settle in last year as a passer, kind of in the back half of the season. I'm not overly concerned about the passing game, but uh, Missouri will present a good test there, and uh, week two will 
will go a long way in maybe saying, hey, is this something that's going to be a concern all season? Or is, you know, hey, against South Dakota, we want to kind of keep things close to the vest, keep it vanilla. I think I heard the word vanilla used about a thousand times on on Saturday and Sunday when people were, were talking about the game. And, and it certainly was a, a little bit of a, a vanilla game plan. In terms of what Adrian Martinez did pass the ball, I, I, as I mentioned, really only took a shot down the field uh, that one time to uh, to Phillip Brooks. Had a couple drops. Uh, Cade Warner, I know, dropped one, but usually a sure-handed guy. Don't have to, huge concerns about you know things like that necessarily. I think a little bit of it is maybe wanting to keep some things close to the vest, but it, it'll all come uh, out a little bit more full circle here on Saturday. Yeah, and you, you get the sense, and Kleinman talked a little bit about it too, of just being ultra overly safe with the football. I mean, if, if you look back and watch a game, Martinez was quick to uh, kind of bail out and tuck it and run or scramble a little bit, dump off to the check down. Um, and maybe that's just a product of, listen, it's South Dakota, hold on to the get, hold on to the football. We, we're not asking you to throw for 300 yards today. Just don't turn it over. Get that out of your system. Get those ghosts uh, kind of out of your head and then we'll go into week two with clean slate and turnover free. So who knows? I, but I, I'll tell you, I'd feel better about it if, you know, he went out there and threw for 220 yards with, you know, on, on 20 attempts, but all in all, I mean, you look at his stat line, sure. 55 yards, but 11 to 15, it's not like he was airmailing every pass or, or anything like that. I mean, you can count the, number of incompletions in the whole game on one hand. Um, it's just that we didn't really take many chances. And so uh, we'll see what we'll see what we have in store this week. But in terms of that, that's my only real concern. But coming out of that game, it is a concern. Want to touch on another guy, Jake Rubley. Got his first action. That's right. Uh, and, and looked pretty good doing it out there. Had a couple of really nice throws. One to Will Swanson that really was in a tight window there. Uh, you know... If you would have asked me who led K-State in receiving on Saturday before the game, and if it, if it was going to be Will Swanson, I might have looked at you a little funny. I, I would have thought, well, that's that, that darn is. interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe His coming out party, but yeah. it turns out it was just 23 yards. But, uh, you know, Jake Rubley got our first opportunity to see him in action and, uh, you know, certainly uh, looked, looked really good in, in the limited opportunities that he had. But a guy that came in, big-time recruit, chose K-State over LSU, among others, and uh, is a guy that uh, you know kind of gets forgotten about a little bit just because you haven't had a chance to see him. Uh, it was nice to get to see him get some action. Yeah, I mean, throughout his early career so far, it seems like you know the K-State experience has been dreading the backup quarterback uh, because we've had seen some bad performances out of uh, Will Howard. And the beat on Jake Rubley is, well, he's just not there. He's not developing, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, some people are already calling him a bust. But against South Dakota, it's like, no, there's something there. He's, he looks, I mean, he looks very fluid throwing the ball. I yeah. Mean, gets it out quick, has good good arm strength. Uh, a guy that, you know, looks like he, I mean, obviously when you come out of, co- or come out of high school and you're a four-star recruit, you've got some tools. Yeah. And uh, you, you can see a little bit of that on display. One other thing I want to mention, too, just about the offense, uh, is the pace they were moving at. Yeah. Uh, much quicker than what you were 
what you were accustomed to seeing here over the last couple of years for K-State. So that was a welcome, welcome change a little bit in terms of seeing what they can do, you know, in a situation not necessarily called on it here against South Dakota, but hey, you know, if we need to go down and, and try to get in field goal range here and we only got a minute to do it or need to try to go grab a touchdown and, and we only have two minutes to do it, we're moving at a pace now that allows us to finally do that a little bit. So that's a little bit encouraging. Uh, I kind of want to get your thoughts on, on what uh, what you saw from kind of that up-tempo uh, and going without a huddle a little bit uh, at, at times here for Kansas State. Well, I got to admit, it caught me off guard a little bit. I'm used to, you know, when I'm at yeah. Fort Snyder, I'm, I feel like when K-State has the ball – they run a play, you can kind of sit there and watch a replay, maybe check the stats on your phone, because you have 30 seconds in between plays. Grab it by your pretzel. <laughs> That's right. You know, maybe, maybe swing it down with a, with a Dr. Pepper. Uh, but uh, no, if you, if you missed it, uh, or if you were, were going back for that second bite of that pretzel or another sip, you you, uh, you missed something. That's it, right. And so, um, yeah, like it caught me a little bit off guard. But all in all, it's refreshing to see um, in the – you know, this year it seems like K State, like you said, if if they are they are in a position where maybe they're down two scores and there's six minutes left in the game or something, that they have the capability to get up and snap the football before the play clock hits five. Um, where in years past that <laughs> that just hasn't seemed like it's been the case. Um, but yeah, I thought no no real hiccups there, um, and so it, it looks like. A relatively modern offense. Nothing insane in terms of, you know, some of those old Oklahoma State hurry up, no huddle type stuff, but moving at a quicker pace and snapping the ball in the neighborhood of 20 seconds on the play clock, 15 seconds on the play clock. For the offense, let's let's talk about what went right. And great way to start the season. First play uh, from scrimmage, Malik Knowles takes it to the house. You know, great blocking. Ben Sennett. Uh, Deuce Vaughn excellent and, and, block and there Cade Warner uh, paving the way for him. Is you there know. is there anything that Deuce just doesn't excel at at a high level? I mean, you think of him in the receiving game. You, you, obviously, one of the most dynamic runners in the country, and then he's out there just busting people uh, twenty yards downfield, blocking. Um, just ultra impressive. Super impressive there, and that was a great way to get it started, and then. You know, K-State gets gets into the act on special teams. Nearly blocked the first punt uh, from South Dakota. They do get the second one. And, you know, special teams has been, you know, a long uh, – it's such a high standard for K-State for what we're used to, uh, you know, having the special teams be a big part of, of the action. And that's been an improvement. I know when, when Kleiman got here to K-State, that wasn't so much of what he had his fingerprints on. But as you see uh, him now into year four – the special teams uh, side of things has definitely taken a little bit more of a priority, and, and it, it's paid off in big ways for Kansas State. Uh, got the second one, and were able to run it in, and and that was nice to see that K-State uh, was able to get involved in, on that side of the ball as well. Yeah, the uh, the punt coverage unit, or I'm sorry, the punt return unit uh, had some big plays, especially with the block punt. Uh, but special teams across the board, I, I don't know if they had a – such a great day on some of the other units. There's a big kickoff return, um, mm-hmm. and then obviously yeah. the kicking issues. Sure, um, and that's what we we you had kind of talk, talked about here in some previous editions. We're the only podcast in the country who was talking about concerns about K-State's kicking game coming into the season, and that's, so that, that's a good job by you. And that's a, a concern that I've had here for some time. And 
it rears its ugly head now. Granted, a 34-0 victory, you know, you can afford to miss an extra point and uh, a field goal that's, you know, in makeable uh, range for sure. But you start to wonder uh, what that kicking game might look like here moving forward. Is there uh, an opportunity for somebody else to kind of get involved there? Uh, so that's something that I'm going to be keeping an eye on here as we, we make our way here through the non-conference schedule and uh, as we get into conference play. Yeah, so, I mean, special teams across the board, I give them a B. It's, it's hard to rate them much lower when you score a touchdown special yeah, teams. Yeah, sure. But, um, yeah, the, the kicking game, uh, a little something to keep an eye on. Uh, and I'm a little disappointed with that uh, kickoff return to what, about, about the 41 or so. Yeah. I think uh, Chris Sinnott, or not Chris Sinnott, uh Zetner had to make the tackle on that one. So whenever your your kickoff guys, the one have to make the tackle, that's usually never a good thing. Uh, but all told, not a huge concern there in terms of outside of the kicking game. That's a major concern, and and that's something that I guess if you had a a list of concerns, it might be the passing game number one, and then hey, what are we doing with kicking the ball? Uh, that that's probably another one. Well, I think. if the if you're coming out of your, you know. FCS non-con opponent week one, uh, and the second biggest concern you have is is the kicking game, then you know there there are bigger problems to have. Yeah, I mean, sure. You, you think where K State was last year after Southern Illinois, uh, kicking game may have been a concern, but it there were <laughs> bigger issues uh, that were concerning us. You know, want to talk a little bit about, we mentioned DJ Giddens, Deuce Vaughn, of course. Deuce Vaughn, you know, 126 yards. You almost start taking his performance, you know, for granted. That you can pencil him in, pencil him in for 100-plus yards and a touchdown about every game out. Yeah. And uh, offensive line, I thought, did a great job paving the way. Obviously a big step up here this week with Missouri. But you mentioned the offensive line in the running game seemed to not really take a take a step back and and looks to be you know right in good form here as we get going here in 2022 but DJ Giddens that was another question mark uh in terms of was it going to be Anthony Frias DJ Giddens you know maybe what was it going to look like there at that backup running position but now you have a guy with DJ Giddens as a freshman get in the mix and he's a little bit bigger of a of a ball carrier 6'1 uh 220 215 somewhere in that range a guy that physically looks like he can play at this level right away, which, uh, you know, as somebody that can spell Deuce Vaughn here for a, a play or two or for a series or two, uh, is a guy that you look at and you say, hey, this is a guy that we're going to have in the program now for a while and, and looks like he has all the tools of being a very serviceable Big 12 running back. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of consternation in the offseason about, obviously, the departure of Joe Irvin. Um, Jacardi Wright leaving last season that all of a sudden a running back room looked kind of bare. But for a guy who's going to get, what, five, six, seven carries a game, most games, Giddens looks the part. He looks like he's capable and is, you know, that K-State's not really going to miss a beat too much with uh, Joe Urban leaving the program. You know, and, and there's nothing else I really want to touch on on the offensive side of the ball. Um the only other thing I guess I want to mention is, um, you know, the one sack and the one fumble that Adrian Martinez had was coming off a wide side blitz where he just didn't see uh, the the blitzing cornerback from South Dakota. 
Uh, KT Lovison wasn't able to quite pick that guy up. I don't think he saw him either. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, was able to get home to Adrian Martinez and on a fourth down play. On on that fourth down play too, we were running long. Uh, f- we were running essentially four verticals and uh, a longer developing pass play. But Adrian wasn't able to quite see it. We weren't able to quite pick it up uh, from the offensive line uh, perspective. And that's that's where that sack took place. But you know those were about really the only two. Uh, you know, real blemishes uh, when you look at the look at the the passing game and, and with what the offense had to do. All told, a little concerning that maybe uh, the passing game wasn't quite there, and you see Adrian Martinez getting hit a little bit there, but pretty small potatoes to really have to have to be too concerned about. Yeah, on that fumble play, I mean, it was a delayed blitz from the. Uh, I don't know whether he was, the, you he want was to call the, him a nickel or yeah, the or field side cornerback. Yeah. and it, it, it's a it's a play that takes a, you don't probably see that too often. No, I mean it was just a, one of those plays where it was the right lucky defensive call um, on a slow developing pass play. Uh, left tackle didn't quite get there in time. KT uh, did, frankly didn't see him. He was engaged with his guy, and then the pass play was slow slow enough developing that it gave time for that uh, blitzing corner to uh, get home. But otherwise, like you said, yeah, I, I think the offensive line, you know, did what we kind of expected him to do in terms of keeping Adrian Martinez relatively clean um, and paving the way for, for Deuce. Yeah, and no Taylor Portier, as we mentioned here, out for the rest of the season. W- with the depth chart that came out here just recently, the uh, the offensive line looks as follows. Left tackle, KT Loveson, that's the same. Uh, left guard, Cooper Beebe. Uh, center, Hayden Gillum. Right guard filling in for Portier is going to be uh, Hadley Panzer. And then at right tackle, Christian Duffy. Is that how you kind of see maybe K-State's best uh, offensive line group going forward? Or is there any change that you might like to make uh, with those starting five? Well, the question is whether uh, line gang really gets involved anywhere. And to the extent he does, I mean, frankly, the odds are we're going to have another injury this year at some point. At some point, And yeah. where line gang fits into that and who gets injured, I mean, I, I think regardless, it's probably going to be line gang being inserted somewhere along the offensive line next. Most likely in the interior, I would feel like. Yeah, but even so, if... If a tackle goes down, then you shuffle BB out somewhere potentially. If an interior guy goes down, you shuffle Panzer over to center if Gillum goes down. And otherwise, uh, if, if either guard goes down, you probably stuff line gang in there. And so that's kind of the versatility showing its head with guys like BB and Panzer being able to play multiple positions along the offensive line. You are able just to sub basically the next guy up uh, who – my assumption is it would be line gang and just stick him at guard somewhere and shuffle BB out wide or Panzer to the middle, uh, depending on who, who goes down. You know, and we, I think we talked about it in our offensive preview uh, here, here a few weeks back. If there is one unit on, on this team that can withstand some injuries, it's the offensive line due to the depth, due to the versatility of those players. So, uh, that's going to get tested here a little bit earlier than we would like, but uh, it is a position group that uh, appears to be able to have that versatility, have that depth uh, to be able to make things work. Uh, anything else you want to add on the offensive side of the ball? Nope. Just uh, it'll be interesting to see how uh, Hadley Panzer steps up this week. 
uh, against a talented Missouri defensive front? You know, when you get a shutout, you almost think you should lead with the defense. And maybe maybe we weren't giving the guys on the defensive side of the ball yeah. proper. They're a proper dude, get, having them lead off this podcast. But we're going to get to them right now. And, you know, what, with what they were able to do, you had Felix Anaduke Uzama getting in there, getting some, getting some pressure and sacks. Uh, another guy, uh, Dell, you're going to have to help me out here. Number 99, last name, Sayamalu? Yeah, Sayamalu. Uso Sayamalu. Uh, yeah, you got it. Is a guy that had a little bit of a flash there kind of in, in the second half and is a guy that I'm looking forward to seeing maybe what more he can bring to the table uh, at that defensive at that defensive line position at the nose guard. You've got Eli Huggins. You've got Robert Hintz, uh, the second, that have played a lot of football for K-State. But to have another guy in that rotation uh, was certainly a nice thing to see with him getting his first action uh, and him getting into the mix here at Kansas State. Yeah, I, uh, I thought the defensive line really was, for the most part, the story of the game for K-State. Um, everybody performed more or less like like we hoped uh, to see for K-State. Obviously, Felix, uh, just a huge first half for him with the sack. Uh, I believe another forced fumble. Um, just racking up his stats in what I'm sure is going to be a season full of them. Uh, but a couple other guys I thought really stood out along the defensive line, uh, particularly uh, like you said, Sayamalu, but also Brendan Mott. Yeah, in the mix. Yeah, down in the mix a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so some of those guys where you know we talked about how deep our defensive ends were too. Um, guys like Matlack I thought played, you know, looked apart, looked like they were ready to step in and, and be uh, Big Twelve defensive players. But yeah, so defensive line. Great work. Huggins, obviously, uh, did a good job. Um, but, yeah, across the board, I think the defensive line played great. You know, you talk a little bit, or, well, Chris Kleiman talks about, and so does Joe Klanderman, about wanting to get a lot of guys in, both offensively for Kleiman, you know, with overseeing everything. I want to count it was over 60 guys that got into the mix. I want to say it was like 65, 67 guys that got into the mix. Uh, on Saturday, and and you know when you have an opportunity to do that against an FCS team, great opportunity to go ahead and do that to get some of these guys some 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 live action. Uh, but you look up and down the up and down the the defensive line. You had Cody Stuffelbein getting his some of his first action. Uh, also, too, and the defensive uh, side of the ball and the defensive backfield. That was something I was keeping a close eye. Kobe Savage really had had a nice game, kind of uh, introducing himself early and often to the to the Coyotes. And uh, how do you do? How do you do? Uh, and uh, you know, sincere Mason got an interception there. Nice little read on on a on a four verts passing game um, concept there from South Dakota, where he was just able to read uh, the uh, the quarterback size and, and be able to jump that route. So. Overall, from what I saw from the defensive backs, that was something I was keeping a, a close eye on with, with Echo and Julius Brintz. You, you, you kind of know what you're getting there uh, in, in terms of their production and where they're at and, and their reliability. But uh, also guys um, like, uh, like Payne, VJ Payne stepping into his um, true freshman get a start uh, was very solid. And, and with what I think maybe the best compliment you can pay somebody uh, that's making their first start uh, at, in in college football as a as a true freshman at the safety position. Is, hey, he was solid. Yeah, he, he wasn't getting beat deep. 
you know, it's almost like a good official. You don't, you, if you have a good official or a good umpire, you're not having to worry about him. You're not having to, uh, to know his name. And that was really good with DJ Payne, just coming out there and, uh, and getting into the fire uh, and, and acquitting himself adequately uh, yeah. out there. So lots of, lots of uh, good things to see there. And, of course, Desmond Purnell, too, um, who I thought was probably had the best day of all the young guys uh, across the entire team. Um, did a good job on defense. I believe he had the touchdown, too, on the uh, blocked punt. Didn't he? Yes, he did. He, he was able to run in from about 17 yards out. And so three tackles for him, uh, one of which was solo. So all in all, it was great to see the young guys get out there and and show what they got because K-State's going to be counting on them this year. One guy, too, that I think we should mention is Khalid Duke, uh, a guy that we had kind of some questions about in terms of what he was going to be able to do physically and with what they had him do a lot of, uh, to my eye, and when I go back through and I watch the, watch the tape, is have him drop him back a lot. So, you know, coming off of a big knee injury, uh, being able to have him have that versatility to, to continue uh, with what he has honestly at times struggled with, and it's probably not his natural role in dropping back, had him doing that quite a bit, being comfortable in pass coverage, but uh, I expect to see him after the quarterback a lot more here in future settings as well. Yeah, I thought, you know, really it was just good to see him back on the field running at full speed. Um, but going to take a little bit of time to get used to that kind of new role that he has, one that he didn't really have uh, in 2020 when he really had his, you know, kind of breakout season. But... I think uh, it's going to take a little bit of time getting him getting used to things and dropping back into coverage, like you mentioned. But we'll we'll see how much of that he's doing in the future versus just pinning his ears back and, and trying to get the quarterback. One other young guy that I want to point out too is Jacob Parrish, the uh, the freshman cornerback out of Olathe North. He you know as a true freshman, uh, it looks likely that he's going to be in the mix uh, throughout the, the entirety of the season. Uh, what was probably when he uh, committed to Kansas State, uh, gosh, probably looked like a guy that you're, is going to have to redshirt a year and, and spend some time in the program. But even early on in kind of some of these fall media sessions here during fall camp, uh, Kleinman was quick to point him out as a guy that we're not going to be able to redshirt because he's too good. Yeah. And uh, getting to see him in the mix uh, will, be, will be fun to watch him continue to grow and develop here in his freshman year. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, that's a guy like Jake Clifton, you just love to see on the defense. That's a rangy guy, long. He's a 6'2", 210, um, really kind of the prototypical frame you want for a big space eater in the middle of the field. Um, and so, yeah, great, great initial performance from him. Uh, I thought he did a great job on Saturday. And also, you know, a lot was made about Austin Moore getting his first start against the Coyotes, and he's K-State's leading tackler. Yeah. I mean, I thought he was in the right spot at the right time a lot, um, and so you come out of that game uh, feeling maybe it's not the ideal situation, but Austin Moore, I thought, certainly held his own on Saturday. You know, and then we, we, we talk about what with what the linebacking core, you know, has, I mean, no Sean Robinson, no Will Honus, two guys that we talked about extensively on, on the, uh, the defensive preview here on the short side option podcast. 
uh, those are guys that don't look like they're going to be quite ready here for the Mizzou game even, uh, and maybe even even further on than that. Uh, so seeing that uh, kind of performance from Austin Moore, and then you count on uh, Deuce Green in there in the middle, uh, Daniel Green, to be a uh, – be the rock kind of a, 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 at the middle of that defense. The presence. And uh, you count on that the rest of the season. And, and his his track record kind of speaks for itself based off what he did last year and what we, we, we fully anticipate him to bring to the table here in 2022. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of a quiet day for uh, Daniel Green. Um, but, you know, it's... Like we talked about earlier, it's hard to uh, it's hard to take too much into any of these like any statistics. Like you see Daniel Green at one tackle, but I mean the guy obviously has a track record. But when you play so many guys and you're wanting to get so many guys looks, uh, you know statistics are probably going to be a little bit depressed there in some ways. But uh, really, defense gets an A for me. Whenever you hold a team to, to to zero points and you get guys that are second and third string in the action early on and uh, and they're able to continue uh, the shutouts. Uh, it was great to see K-State have so much success on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. The defense overall gets an A for me. You know, and there were some, caught some breaks, some drop passes. Some drop passes, sort of thing. sure. Held South Dakota 0-4 on fourth down, uh, which, <laughs> which you like to see. Uh, 5 of 16 on third down, which ain't bad either. And so, all in all, I thought K-State... K-State's defense pitching a shutout, it's hard to do uh, in the modern college game, even against uh, worse opponents, and it's especially hard to do when uh, you're playing the better part of the fourth quarter with your second string. But K-State defense bowed up, kept them out of the end zone, for the most part kept them out of field goal range, and, uh, and stood, uh, stood hard when it counted. One thing I want to point out, too, Kleiman made a lot of talk about this, too, in terms of what the offense did. Not turning the ball over. Not only did we play a clean game from that perspective, four penalties for 34 yards. Yeah. Pretty clean game there. You like to see that uh, just with a lot of new guys, maybe some new roles in there as well, to be able to uh, to play a clean game. Pretty good start here for game one. Yeah. No. All in all, great great game for the defense. Well, Dully, anything you want to, uh, to to touch on here before we wrap it up uh, on, on the South Dakota review? No, none. I'm ready to... Uh... Get to the uh, Missouri Tigers. Let's dive right into it. Uh, Missouri comes into uh, Saturday's contest one and zero as well. Uh, a bit of a slow start for the Tigers against Louisiana Tech. It, they uh, were trailing three nothing at the end of the first quarter, but were able to really get things going uh, throughout the second and third quarter to to put the uh, the Texters, the Bulldogs, uh, be behind uh, behind them and won that game fifty two twenty four. You know, Dealey, you bring in a team that's uh, out of the SEC, the Southeastern Conference, that uh, is a familiar foe, uh, of course, to, to K-State fans, uh, having formerly been a member of the Big 12. This is probably the most anticipated non-conference uh, home game that Kansas State's played since another Southeastern team, another Tigers, the Auburn Tigers, came wow. in here to, uh, to uh, Manhattan back in 2014. And uh, I know K-State fans with the regional ties and also with the local ties here in Kansas City it is a game that K-State uh, fans have been looking forward to for some time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a huge game. I mean, it's, it's somebody that K-State runs into a lot on their recruiting trail. 
Uh, obviously, a lot of uh, Missouri fans in and around Kansas City uh, and a program that K-State has a lot of history with, uh, going all the way back to probably the big six. Yeah. Um, and so, haven't played since 2011. Um, and kind of reigniting the rivalry, getting a lot of people in Kansas City excited for it. They're expecting uh, possibly an attendance record this weekend with all the standing room only tickets sold. And so this one is one that's been circled on a lot of calendars all off season, and it should be a pretty intense atmosphere. It's a shame the game's at 11 a.m. as far as the atmosphere goes, but going to be a lot of fans in Fort Snyder watching these two uh, old rivals face off again. You know, one note I want to bring up. Last time you mentioned they were here in Manhattan was 2011. Uh, Kansas State won that game 24-17. Uh, Mizzou in their last six road openers, one in five straight up and two and four against the spread in those six openers, including three straight losses. So the the road opener, not necessarily been very kind to the Missouri Tigers here over the last couple of years. Yeah, and you have to remember that they've been playing in the Southeastern Conference for some of those road openers. They, they have been playing in the Southeastern Conference for some of those years. So last year, opened against Boston College. They did. In Boston. And so... Uh, Chestnut just, Hill. Yeah, that's right. And so not the Red Bandana game, also too. Want to make you know that's a special game there for for Boston College. That's yes. right. Um, it's so it's not like they've been lining up in Athens, Georgia, every season for their road opener. Um, so they've, they've had their share of struggles uh, going on the um, road. But Dell, I have to correct you. Last year they started out the season on the road at Kentucky. Oh, week two, but a twenty-eight thirty-five loss to the Wildcats. In the second game... Was Boston College two years ago? No, Boston College was last year. They, they played them in their second road game. Oh. So you were not wrong, but they did lose that game. All right, game. I, I but, got it mixed up a little bit with their... Uh, but I think there's some signs here. Kentucky, they're also named the Wildcats. They have a K... Their name starts with K. Second game of the season. Okay. It's yeah. very similar to what you see here on September 10th at Fort Snyder. All right. Well, so something to keep an eye on there. Yeah. So we'll have to chew on that and see uh, see where it takes us. But no, to your point, it's it's a huge game. I mean, this is this is a very important game if K State wants to make national noise beyond just the Big Twelve. I mean, we we talked a little bit about how this season has that same kind of twenty seventeen feel in terms of. Preseason anticipation, all the pieces are, you feel like all the pieces are in the right place. Um, early non-conference test, 2017 didn't go K-State's way. And kind of took the wind out of our sails for a uh, good portion of the season. And, mm-hmm. Sure. You know, but uh, K-State will try to get on the right side of this one um, against Missouri. And in a game where, like you said, it's this game's not your run-of-the-mill uh, marquee non-conference game. This is a non-conference game against, uh, you know, former rival, former conference mate, and a rival on the recruiting trip. Let's go ahead and dive in here to what uh, what to look for here on the offensive side of the ball for the Missouri Tigers uh, against Louisiana Tech. Uh, they ran 80 plays, 50 runs, 30 passes. So that breaks out 62% run, 38% pass against Louisiana Tech. And that's a little bit more run heavy than what they experienced last year, you know, early on the season. And also, too, last year, they had uh, Tyler Batty, 
uh, who was, um, you know, a, an all-everything running back for the Tigers. Uh, so maybe a little bit heavier on the run last year, uh, you would think. But 50-50 split last year uh, with, uh, with what they did in, in terms of running and throwing. I would expect to see a pretty balanced approach from the Tigers uh, here throughout, uh, throughout Saturday's game and throughout the rest of the season. But when you look at uh, the, uh, the Missouri Tigers, my eyes kind of go to the wide receivers. Yeah. Uh, uh, some guys that, wide receivers and running backs, that they have some talent there. But I want to touch first on, on the trigger man, Brady Cook. Uh, a good athlete, a younger guy, but, but plays with some poise. Probably a little bit better of an athlete than, than maybe folks give him credit for, but can kind of get out and, and, and run the ball. I know in the, uh, the game last year in the bowl game against Army, his first career start, uh, had, had some success on the ground, but uh, only started his third collegiate game. And then when you look at the opposition with Adrian Martinez, uh, a guy that's been a four-year starter uh, at this level, five-year starter at this level, and uh, is a guy that has played a lot of college football. So K-State has an edge there at the quarterback position in terms of experience, but Brady Cook's a guy that uh, has some talent and uh, will be interested to see what he's able to do here on Saturday. Yeah, I thought he had a pretty nice game against Louisiana Tech. Uh a couple of miscues on the uh, the deep balls in particular. Had an interception that was uh, kind of an unlucky bounce off the hands uh, that Louisiana Tech uh, got under it for. But I think he's a capable enough quarterback. He's, you know, I, I don't think he does anything particularly well, but he doesn't really do anything I've seen that's, you know, bad either. I think he's... A serviceable a guy, guy kind of just can, kind of trying to find his way here a little bit early on. In yeah, his career. and aren't so, we all? We all we're all authoring our our journey one page at a time. That's right, and that's all we can do. Yeah, and uh, with Brady Cook, it's no different. So that's why they call him the author. Well, we'll we'll look to see what he's able to uh, what he's able to do in, in terms of putting uh, pen to paper there. Uh, but uh, we also look at the other. I, I mentioned the skill position players for the Tigers. I think you almost have to lead off with Luther Burden. Uh, a much ballyhooed uh, recruit coming out of the St. Louis area, a threat to to run the ball. Uh, they like to kind of get him implemented uh, in the jet sweep game and finding ways to get him the ball, whether if it's jet sweep or or the extension of the running game with the screen pass. Uh, but he had two TDs in the opener, uh, one running, one catching, and, and he's a guy in the open field and even in uh, in the red zone that they kind of like to utilize it. I know against Louisiana Tech, he, he had a, a run in from, from inside the in, inside the red zone, as well as a, a pass where he's able to make a couple guys miss and, and sneak his way in the end zone. So a very elusive guy and a guy that I know Missouri fans are, are very excited about what he brings to the table offensively for the Tigers. Yeah, and I think Drinkowitz does, a, at least against Louisiana Tech, he did a pretty good job of finding creative ways to get Luther Burden the football. And you know, the guy is absolutely electric, um, blazing fast. He can start and stop on a dime. Kind of has a little bit of that Tyreek Hill in him where he's just incredible athlete and just lightning when he has the ball. Um, they line him up pretty much anywhere uh, on the wide receiver. They'll put him in the slot. They'll put him out wide. Uh, they'll put him at uh, Wildcat. They'll just figuring out ways to get the ball in his hands and, and let him make plays. And so that's something K-State's really going to have to be cognizant of because it's one thing if, if he's lining up outside and it's just going to be a Luther Burden versus Echo Boido game or something like that, Luther versus Julius Brent. Um, but 
I think it's going to be an all-hands-on-deck sort of situation, kind of the same way that teams have to prepare against Deuce Vaughn in terms of Missouri's going to try to get favorable matchups for him and try to get him matched up against Austin Moore, for instance, or, or maybe some of these more experienced safeties. And so I think K-State's defense is going to have its hands full, uh, trying not only to contain Luther Burton, but some of these other playmakers from Missouri offense. You know, Dominic Lovett, uh, Barrett Bannister, uh, and, and Towski Dove are, are two of the other guys. And, and Dove and Bannister are, are upperclassmen, but the rest of the group is relatively young uh, and, and has some good talent really throughout the, the receiving core. Uh, a guy I'm kind of keeping an eye on, he, he didn't uh, register much in, in terms of statistics against Louisiana Tech, but is, uh, is Mookie Cooper, uh, uh, another guy to watch out for, a highly rated uh, recruit and Ohio State transfer. So you know if he comes from Ohio State and he played the wide receiver position, uh, he, he's got to have some talent to be able to, yeah. to get there yeah. and is a guy you want to keep your eye on uh, from the pass-catching standpoint. Uh, when it comes to the running back position, two guys that I've, I've kind of got my eye on, uh, Nathaniel Pete, Stanford transfer. K-State saw him last year. Yeah. Probably didn't, probably didn't do much in that game last year. Yeah, he had three yards on three carries against K-State. Well, uh, probably one year. of their more efficient running backs. Actually. Yeah, they, they weren't able to do much against uh, against the Kansas State defense, so that's a guy to keep an eye on. And then one other guy that I would uh, be sure to earmark is uh, Cody Schrader. And this is an interesting guy here from Missouri. He played last year at Truman State and totaled a Division II leading 2,074 rushing yards on 300 carries for 24 touchdowns. So he bumps up, you know, a big level here, going from D2 uh, to, to playing in the Southeastern Conference. And, and is a guy that uh, led Missouri last uh, game against Louisiana Tech with, I believe, 20 carries. Uh, so a little bit of uh, a versatility there, able to catch the ball out of the backfield as well. But uh, a guy that, uh, you know, that they're going to be able to uh, also kind of use in a variety of ways. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, you nailed it. The, the skill positions for Missouri, there's – there's a couple different ways they can get you, but this is, um, you know, it's it's an offense that kind of reminds me a little bit of TCU over the last few years, just in terms of a situation where the quarterback's not gonna blow you away with anything, but their skill position guys, there's a lot of talent there, um, and so we'll we'll see what K State's defense has in store for them. I I think this is a game where. Like I said earlier, it's, it's going to be all hands on deck trying to contain the the skill position guys. But it's a game where I think the defensive line can really have a chance to shine, um, getting pressure on you know the relatively inexperienced Brady Cook, um, getting him in some uncomfortable spots and maybe taking chances that he doesn't really feel comfortable taking. Um, so if Felix can have a big day, if Nate Matlack can get involved, then ideally this. Uh, K-State defense is back in. We'll uh, have a little bit of a respite in terms of their uh, their job because their job's gonna they're gonna have their hands full. You know, one guy when I was looking it through and studying this Missouri offense is uh, Tyler Stevens at uh, the tight end position. In terms of what you look for at, at a tight end, in terms of his skill set and his, just his overall body, six six two fifty, and it always seems like Mizzou always has some of these big. Uh, big bulking athletic tight ends, whether if it's Martin Rucker uh, back from the old Big 12 days or Chase Kaufman 
that you see. This is another guy that uh, hasn't had a huge opportunity to really show what he has, but uh, in terms of the f physical skill set, another guy that K-State uh, will be seeing out there and, and has the ability uh, to be a good third down target yeah. as well as somebody in the red zone. Yeah, and so add him to the list. Yeah, it, it's it's an interesting team. You know, you haven't had a chance to, to look at the, this Missouri team offensively. I think they pose maybe a bit bigger challenge than maybe what I had given them credit for here in the offseason, but that's why we watch the tape. Yeah. That's why we watch the tape. That's why we watch hours of it. Yeah. No, I mean, I... And I, only exclusively from all 22 angles. And, you know, their game against Louisiana Tech, I, th I thought the offense looked pretty darn impressive. Uh, a little bit of like, a slow start, but once they got humming, they right, were Right. Really it, it was, they were able, basically able to just pick their spot. Now, keep in mind, Louisiana Tech, not a very good team. Uh, no. I think they're picked to finish here at the bottom of Conference USA this year. Um, and so, take it... Take it for what it's worth, but uh, against Louisiana Tech, it was pretty darn good. I thought once they got humming. I want to switch sides of the ball here, the defensive side of the ball. Yes, uh, this has been probably the biggest question mark here for Missouri coming in last year, and I think you can kind of maybe throw some of that stuff out from last year. Maybe if you if you want to look at it optimistically as a Missouri fan, the first eight games of last season. They were allowing 283 yards uh, per game on the ground. Uh, over their last five games, they cut that uh, nearly in half to 130, or over uh, in half to 138 yards per game. They've got eight starters back, and, and they have a new defensive coordinator with Blake Baker uh, calling the defense, who uh, had been the defensive coordinator at, at Miami previously. So a little bit of a mystery still. The defense uh, against Louisiana Tech uh, did not really yield anything on the ground. Um, pretty much all that they gave up was through the air. So you can probably easily look at what I, I just said with uh, the first eight games last year, giving up over 280 yards per game on the ground. Uh, certainly a point of emphasis for Missouri to get a lot better there. Yeah, and they got some fresh faces uh, across that front seven. Uh, Tyron Hopper uh, playing the will spot for him. Uh, Jaden Jernigan. Uh, on the defensive line, both transfers. Uh, new defensive coordinator. Uh, man, I'll tell you, I attended the Missouri-Tennessee game last year. And that in that Yikes. game, Tennessee ran for, what, like 450 yards? 458 yards, uh, 683 total yards of offense in that one. It was as dominant uh, an offensive performance as I've ever seen. Um, especially on the ground, and, and I remember thinking this defense is a total sieve. But uh, we'll we'll see. They I mean they had the upswing towards the end of the season. Uh, allowed what 140 yards to Georgia yep. last year uh, in a game they lost by about 40 points. But um, nonetheless, uh, we'll see if 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 this defense is for real this week because I think they're facing truly one of the best rushing attacks they'll, they'll face all season, which is saying something given who they have on the schedule. Um, but this this will be an enormous test for Missouri's, particular, particularly in the run defense, because, you know, dominant performance against Louisiana Tech, but they're not playing Louisiana Tech this week, bud. That's right. And, you know, when you look at what they have defensively. Two guys I want to point out, Martez Manuel at safety, one of the leader of the, of, of the defensive backs, and, and then Jeff Coates uh, there at the uh, defensive end position. 
through my research, I almost guaranteed he was going to be uh, a, a a son of, of former Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl winning defensive end Jim Jeffcoat. But my research did not yield that. But he was one of their leading sackers last year for the Tigers. So two guys that uh, that are right there in the thick of things for the Missouri defense, uh, which is still, as I mentioned, a bit of a mystery. Uh, both teams with it, K-State offensively with what they're able to do in the air. And then what is Missouri going to be able to do in terms of stopping Kansas State on the ground? Those are the two big questions here as we head into uh, this Week 2 matchup. Absolutely. And, and it was – a little startling to me, and only because I hadn't been watching the uh, Louisiana Tech All-22 to see Missouri really shine in the run defense. Uh, because coming into this game, I thought favorable matchup for K-State uh, on the offensive side. Because, like we always say, you want offensively, you want the defense's weakness to be your strength, and vice versa for uh, the defense. Um, and so coming into this game, I was thinking, no, Missouri's run defense is pathetic. They're not going to be able to do anything against K-State's offense. Uh, then against Louisiana Tech, they come out and, you know, I, I thought their defense played pretty well overall, um, but especially against their own defense. And so kind of a reversal there. But, uh, yeah, nailed it. It, it. That is going to be the biggest key to the game is whether or not uh, Missouri – really, I think that – we'll get into our keys of the game later, but one of the – huge keys is going to be whether or not this Missouri run defense is for real, whether they've solved their problems in the past, and uh, whether K-State's Deuce Vaughn and Adrian Martinez can rush for 200, 250 yards. Let's go ahead and get into those keys. Let's go ahead and get right into it. Uh, With K-State offensively, what what are you looking for here for K-State to have success against Missouri? Bottom line is the passing game needs to be ready to go this week. We, We cannot be vanilla. We cannot be ultra-conservative. The passing game has to be in top gear because my presumption is that K-State's not going to be able to just cut through Missouri's run defense like Tennessee did last year. That Missouri's going to test us. I mean, they're, they are going to do the same thing that teams have been doing against <clears throat> K-State for the last three years, and that's make the quarterback make the passing game beat you and devote as much attention to stopping the run as he can and force Adrian Martinez to get out there and complete passes to Cade Warner and Malik Knowles and Phillip Brooks and, and whoever else. Because that's uh, until, you know, Missouri's a show-me state team. And so, that's right, they are. And, and so until K-State proves that, that, that it's not just a one-trick pony on offense and, and it's not just going to be the Deuce Vaughn show all season long, um, they're gonna they're gonna force other guys to beat them, and so K State's pass offense has to be ready to go. I think um, second key is this offensive line because if K State can beat them on the ground, they sure like to. And uh, you know, putting a fresh face this this early in the season, Tadley Panzer, um, he's gonna have his work cut out for him, and so is. Uh, Cooper Beebe on the end, on the edge, and Christian Duffy on the other edge. Because these, uh, with Trajan and Jeff Code, those guys are the real deal. Uh, Jeff Code's an NFL defensive end, and he's going to be one of the better ends this K State defense faces all season. So that's that's the key to the offense, I think. Passing game has to be in shape, fix the errors from last week, and the offensive line has to carry their water. <clears throat> on defense, okay. 
of all on defense, it's it's can K State's back end contain these Missouri playmakers? And you know, Austin Moore had a great game against South Dakota, but he's going to have his work cut out for him trying to just take up space in the middle of the field because against Louisiana Tech, Missouri was really able to carve up their their zone schemes um, by just doing the stuff we see in the Big 12 with, where teams just go to a spot, find a receiver there, and they make the passing offense look easy. For some reason, K-State's passing offense never looks quite that easy, but uh, that's going to be Missouri's game plan is, is really finding a weak leak in the defense and getting favorable matchups with with Burden and and some of these other playmakers. And then um, I think it's it's really the run defense. I mean, if there's a position group on this on this uh, defense that I'm concerned about this week holding their own, it's the linebackers. I mean, I think we have confidence in the secondary at this point. We have confidence in the defensive line. Those are known quantities. But Daniel Green and Austin Moore better come to play on Saturday because those guys are going to be very much counted on because Missouri's not going to put their big playmakers on K-State's best defenders. They're going to try to get Austin Moore lined up against big tight end, um, against you know some of these faster receivers, um, and then go up the middle. I, I really like this Missouri offense. I think they got a lot of potential. They could do it either way. I mean – Cable passing team, capable rushing team, dynamic playmakers, and if Brady Cook's on, then it's going to be really hard for K-State. I think that's a really good rundown. I mean, in terms of what, in terms of kind of, I think, the matchup within the matchup, I think you you absolutely nailed it with Missouri's going to want to get their playmakers in space against guys that they have favorable matchups with, whether if it is Luther Burden lined up against, you know, maybe a VJ Payne there at, at the safety position or one of uh, one of the other safeties. Uh, I know they're going to probably try to pick on the younger guys. Uh, also, Austin Moore and do screen out there uh, in the linebacker position. They have a number of those guys uh, that uh, that are going to be able to do, whether if it's Burden, uh, Lovett, Bannister, Dove, uh, a number of those wide receivers are more than capable of being good playmakers in this game. So seeing how kind of the game within the game with what Missouri is able to do offensively and then what adjustments we're able to make in terms of mitigating those uh, those, those matchups uh, that maybe not aren't necessarily in our favor. For K-State, I want you to say the same thing could be true there uh, with what we're going to do with Deuce Vaughn. You, you didn't see him going out in the slot much no. uh, th- this last week or really seeing him a whole lot uh, being utilized in, in those angle routes and those Texas routes uh, over the middle where he's lined up with a, with a linebacker or, or a safety where he has a huge matchup advantage there. So seeing how Colin Klein's able to kind of move those different chess pieces around on the offensive side of the ball, also same thing with Malik Knowles. We see that on, on the first play of the game, a big jet sweep, uh, getting your playmakers the ball in space. That's the name of the game on the offensive side of the ball. Which team does it, Missouri or K-State, whichever team does it better, might be the one that comes away with the win here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and one other one other piece here that I think could be an X factor on Saturday is the defensive line. Um, I talked a little bit about that earlier. But if they are able to, to get penetration and just make Brady Cook uncomfortable, and I think they have every chance to do that. I mean, I, I am as high as I can be on our pass rushers. Um, then I think the whole job becomes easier for everyone. Um, if they're having to, because if, if 
number one, negative plays are great. Number two, if Missouri's having to not, if they if they cannot put five wide out, if if they're going to have to devote, uh, you know, six maybe seven guys to to pass blocking, then that makes the offensive or that makes the defensive backfield's job a lot easier if there's only three guys running routes if there's only four, um, and so Felix need a big day from him. Matlack need a big day from him. Um, and Huggins has to take space in the middle on the run. One other X factor that I don't think goes in the way of Kansas State in this one is the kicking game. Uh, we talk about uh, our question marks with Chris Tennant at, at, at the uh, the kicking position. Missouri has uh, has one of the better kickers in the in the country with Harrison Mavis, uh, a guy that is uh, is last year seventeen of twenty on field goals, long of um, fifty two. Uh, a guy that was perfect against Louisiana Tech and is a weapon that they can use him uh, all throughout. Uh, you know, once they get across the forty yard line, I don't think that they're going to be uh, really all that uh, wanting to kick field goals in this game. But in the situation that uh, that the field goal team needs to trot out, they have an edge there uh, against Kansas State, and that's something to keep it keep an eye on here as well. Yeah, uh, I thought Kleiman was a little bit flippant with. Uh, his discussion about the missed field goal uh, likened it to uh, a missed putt. Do you see him? You see that comment? I didn't. I don't know if I did see that. And you know, I I know that you know it's a cliche about college kickers, man. But you know, this isn't a you know skins game out with your buddies. This At Falcon is, Ridge. You know, yeah. This is this is a little bit higher stakes. Yeah. So um, you know, missed extra points matter. Uh, missed bunny field goals matter a lot, uh, so yeah, that's that's something that K State really needs to get cleaned up um, because K State, I don't think K State can be affording to leave points on the field on Saturday. No, and I, I don't either. And I think one thing that I'm going to count on seeing a lot of, not just necessarily this game, but also throughout the remainder of the season, is in that red zone, Adrian Martinez being that extra guy in the run game. And uh, I, I count on him being a, a, a factor here on Saturday uh, in the run game. And, I mean, when I look at the stats here for, for what took place against South Dakota, I want to say he had, okay, he had 13 carries. I got it pulled up here. 13 carries. Now, some of that's based off of bailing out, you know, under pressure. Some of it's sack. And, and, you know, when I look at that, when we talked about what we thought like is the optimal number of him running the ball, I think we said our carry number was about 12. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised to see him run the ball 20 times uh, on Saturday, especially if, if the situation calls for it down the red zone and in short yarded situations. Uh, that's something I'm going to look at, especially with how I think K-State does have the edge with the offensive-defensive line matchup, especially in the interior. Uh, I, I look at that to be a, to be a spot that K State uh, can, can lean on here on on third and four, third and three, uh, or you know anywhere down the, in the red zone area where where K State can can make some hay there. Yeah, and you know don't be surprised if we see a screen pass or two on Saturday because that that feels like an element of K State's offense it just really wasn't there during the Messingham era. I mean, a lot of design plays, design passes for Deuce. Uh, but very few actual bona fide screenplays. Um, and so that's something that's 
not on film for K-State, but I have a hunch that, you know, that sort of stuff uh, might be up Colin Klein's sleeve, especially when defenses are figuring, just pin your ears back and run to the backfield because because that's that's not been a bad game plan for defenses. And so a, a nice screen pass might uh, catch him off guard. And one other thing about our passing game on Saturday that I meant to touch on earlier that I'd expect to see more of an emphasis on this week is I feel like we didn't really utilize a lot of play action against South Dakota, and part of that's just because, you know, we didn't really take many shots downfield. Um, but with Deuce being the weapon he is, that's that's a portion of the passing game that he can really help out in without actually having to run or catch the ball. Um, and so I l- look to see, a, as, as far as creativity in the passing games, it's not just running more creative routes. It's it's utilizing play action, utilizing screens, and I bet that's that's another couple of wrinkles we see on Saturday. Let's get to a prediction. Yeah. Dell, you, you feel good leaning off here? You feel very good. Fire away. I think uh, I think ultimately it's not going to be a perfect game for K-State. I think K-State's absolutely going to have its hands full. May go deep into the fourth quarter. I mean, this this frankly, I was shocked that the line opened at nine and a half. Were you? Yeah, I okay. I thought you know having watched both these teams play their first game, I thought it was going to be less than a touchdown. Maybe three and a half felt right to me, um, but. Uh, I think the line's down to what seven and a half at this point. Depends on where you, I've seen it kind of fluctuate between anywhere. I haven't got. I haven't seen seven and a half. I've seen anywhere from like eight to nine and a half where it opened at. So it, it may very well be down to seven now. Yeah, or seven and a half rather. I'm I'm a nervous boy this week. I think I think K State's. I think it's going to be a really hard game for K State. Uh, now I have faith that what we saw on Saturday wasn't the real deal for K-State as far as offense goes. I think K-State can have some success against the Missouri defense, especially the Missouri defense run game or run defense isn't, uh, you know, they haven't magically solved all their problems in the off season. Uh, I think K-State gets out, scores some points. I think defense allows some big plays, um, but doesn't allow enough of them. And K-State wins this game at 27 to 21. Okay. So a close one here. Yeah, I think I think I'll I'll be surprised and pleased if this game is beyond one score. Okay, I like it. Well, so K State gets the win, and that was twenty-seven to twenty-one. Twenty-seven twenty-one. Okay, I'm gonna write that down here for Delhi. Uh, Delhi, I'm gonna make this one a little bit easier on you. You're not gonna have to be worried about this game in the fourth quarter. All right, great. I, I I'm liking K State to win this game relatively comfortably. And I like them winning by the score of thirty-five to twenty-one. Okay, so you and I see this game. You know, usually we see games pretty similarly. Yeah. Um, but I think I, it's just is, an extra touchdown for me. Yeah, but I, I think this is going to be a very, very hard game for K State. The one thing that if, I, if we can get out with a one-point win, I will be happy as a clam. The one thing that I think is a factor here for K State is one. This is. Uh, this is uh, Brady Cook's first road game as a quarterback, uh, starting quarterback here from Mizzou. He's going to be going up against, I think, one of the better defenses in the Big 12 and against a defensive line that I think is going to give him a lot of troubles. So I'm, I'm counting on seeing a couple turnovers here out of the Missouri Tigers that I think K-State's going to be able to take advantage of. Uh, what I also see is, you know, this defense, 
you look at the second half of last year, definitely did improve against the running game. But I think this K-State offensive line is one of the better ones that uh, Missouri ha- has seen during that stretch in-, in terms of what they're able to do from a total running game package with uh, the offensive line as well as Deuce Vaughn and Adrian Martinez running the ball. I think K-State's able to have some success on the ground. I think I like Deuce Vaughn to go over 175 yards. In this <laughs> I love that. And, and I, I like K-State to be able to win this one by the score of 35-21. to 21. All right. Well, I hope you're right. Well, I do too. Uh, or hell, I hope I'm right. Frankly, I'll feel just as good about it either way. If case, you know, if case they can go out there and win by sixty-six nothing, that'd be pretty sweet. That would be nice. Shades of nineteen ninety-nine. Nineteen ninety-nine. Yeah. So now we, you've got twenty-seven twenty-one Kansas State. I've got thirty-five twenty-one Kansas State. One thing you can take to the bank: Missouri scoring twenty-one points on. State. Yeah. Yep. And we that's not going to be enough to win. We talked about Missouri's kicking game. Not going to be much of a factor on that. Well, they are the three extra points. Yeah. Or is it seven field goals? Well, with that Iowa uh, South Dakota. How State. about that? Huh? I I've watched college football for a long time. Watched a lot of college. When football. I saw seven three, I was like, huh. Well, I mean, I was notorious for playing some clunkers uh, where where the offense doesn't quite look good. Scored a maybe scored a late touchdown. I was I I don't know about you. I had no cell phone service pretty much all day. No, I didn't either. But I I did watch that game of kites. And, and so I'm I'm looking here and I see that that go across the jumbotron and I say seven to three. Well, late touchdown. And then I I think I'm listening to the scoreboard show with uh, with Chili Dog on the way home. And Iowa did not score an offensive touchdown. Two safeties and a field goal. Yeah. How do you like that? Yeah. How, how many times does a uh, does a defense outscore an offense uh, in a Power 5 FCS matchup? Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Well, that'll do it here for uh, the South Dakota review in the Missouri preview. Should be a fun game. You mentioned, too. I think another factor for K-State is the crowd. You're, you're going to have a big-time atmosphere. They're anticipating over 53,000 people. An attendance record certainly uh, on the table here for Kansas State. Uh, as they welcome Missouri into the bill. So that'll do it here for uh, that portion of the podcast. After a quick break, we'll be back for another installment in our ongoing series of this week's Wildcat Legend. Yeah. And we'll also answer your questions and ask the icon. Join us after a quick break. Short side option, we're back. Here with Dilu, the icon. An icon, it's been a little while. But we're going to get into a segment of the show making its grand return in this week's Wildcat Legend. An icon this week's Wildcat Legend. I'm just going to tell it like it is. He's a running back, and he had an enormous performance against the Missouri Tigers in 1998. That kind of gives it away. Yeah, it it, it really kind of does. It Uh, is, of course. It's Marlon Charles. Marlon Charles. uh, Put up huge uh, numbers against Missouri in 1998. A legendary performance from the young man. Uh, seven carries for sixty-six yards for Marlon Charles, and yeah. every one of those every one of those yards was important in that you game. You bet it was because that was a that was a season where K State ran roughshod over pretty much everybody, uh, but won that game what twenty-four to twenty-two, whatever it was. It was a tight game, um, and some nervous times there as K State wound down that nineteen ninety-eight season. Um, but 31-25. 31-25. This year, regardlessly. Uh, close game. Closer than we were used to that season. Uh, but Marlon Charles went out there and had an incredible performance. 
got an injured, got a little banged up in the third quarter of that game. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, you know, if you're averaging on just about ten yards a carry, ten yeah. yards a carry, that's that's what you want to see. Uh, these days, Mr. Charles is uh, in the business world. Oh, is he really? He's the VP of Technology for Specialist Management Solutions. Uh, they're a healthcare uh, tech company, I guess. There you go. So, uh, it's what we like to see out of Marlon Charles, a legendary performance on the gridiron against the Missouri Tigers, and uh, now getting it done in the uh, the business space. One thing I'd like to add about Marlon Charles, huge fan of his, by the way. Yeah. Number 21. He always had his biggest games, it seems like, on the road. Really? I remember uh, a big game that he had against KU uh, on the road, I think also in 1998. This is a guy that got it done all over the field for K-State. and Got it done on the playing field in between the lines. Getting it done outside the lines now as a, uh, as a big-time executive here for, uh, for his company. And, uh, yeah, so Marlon Charles, absolutely incredible performance back in 1998. Uh, something to keep in mind as we face off against the Missouri Tigers in the 2022 edition, uh, you know, several decades, a couple decades later. Uh, and it's for those reasons that Marlon Charles is and always will be this week's Wildcat legend. Nikon, we're going to go ahead and move into our final segment of the show, a segment we hear at the Short Side Option call Ask the Icon, where by now our listeners know that they can uh, submit their questions to the Short Side Option's very own Chris the Icon Sork, and he'll answer. And they can uh, text him to us, or they can submit it to us by Twitter, which is which you can do by tweeting at TSSO underscore podcast or by using the hashtag AskTheIcon. Or if you know one of our friends, maybe give your question to them and, and they'll text uh, on your behalf. We had a couple of those submitted this week. That's Absolutely. right. Absolutely. So any and all methods, welcome. And we're, we're going to jump right into it uh, on these hard-hitting football questions this week. Uh, our first question comes from listener Norm, who I think is uh, entering the fray for the first time on uh, the short side option. I can't remember if we've gotten a question from Norm before. This week, Norm asks, uh, thoughts on Judge chasing Maris and the likelihood that uh, Judge passes number 61, which is the real record. Your thoughts on that as we continue on? Uh, great question there from Norm as he, as, he, uh, as he enters the mix here today. Yeah, we're getting closer to October. It's baseball uh, It playoff. is, and you know, we're, we're versatile here on the Short Side Option Podcast. Multiple. And that's what it's all about is being multiple. Uh, Aaron Judge belted number 55 today uh, against the Minnesota Twins. He's seven away from becoming the all-time Major League single-season home run hitting king. And I think he's going to do it, uh, Del. And I think he's going to do it in big style. Uh, pump for the big guy, huge Yankees fan, and, and look forward to uh, to having him break the record because, honestly, I think it's going to be a little bit of a short October for the Yanks. They're, they're really leaking oil here as we get into September. And hopefully they have a little bit of time to get that corrected here as we, um, as we make our way into October for, for October baseball. Well, asked and answered. It's a great question from Norm, and we look forward to uh, hearing more from Norm uh, as we continue on here on the short side option. Our next listener, our next question comes from listener Will Stalder, who's also getting into the mix Entering the fray. Now, this might be... I, I don't know if we've had an opposing fan. Uh, Will, uh, of course, a long-tenured Missouri fan. Uh, he, he hops into the mix here on the short side option. We'll go to Will in Columbia. 
who asks, Hi, Icon. Big fan. I haven't been to a game at Fort Snyder before, uh, and I'm making the trip west this weekend to watch my Missouri Tigers take on the Cats. Are the rumors true that the smell of sheep dung waft into the stands? Should I not wear my favorite Tigers gear and instead dress in something I don't mind getting permanently ruined? Wow, hard-hitting questions here from Will. I think uh, Will, Mr. Stalder might be haranguing us a little bit. I think he may be. I think he may be, but you know, we, we, we take all questions here on, sure. on the short side option. And uh, to Will, I would say find your greatest or find your most durable uh, trench coat, gas mask. Get ready for, for what's going to be a, a, an intimidating environment from, from start to finish. Yeah, this isn't your. Uh, this is not like Furrow Field where there's you know, maybe forty thousand, forty five thousand teetotalers out there. You know. Yeah, this is a big time football game, and this is maybe something Missouri hasn't seen in some time. Yeah. Uh, to come into a raucous, uh, amped up environment, and you know, I mentioned the home field as a reason why K State, uh, you know, having that twelfth man, whether if it's with the fifty three thousand fans or. Maybe a somewhat an unpleasant aroma to some sensitive noses. Uh, that that might be a, might be a factor there. You know, the only smell I I, I thought I smelled something in uh, in Bill Snyder Family Stadium at Fort Snyder last week, um, but it, it didn't smell like like didn't smell like money. You know what I mean? It, it didn't yeah. smell like like manure or anything like that. It, it smelled a little bit like Outland. Oh my. Yeah. Cooper Beebe, maybe, maybe on the on the top three list here for for Outland Trophy. Yeah, I think you might be onto something there, Dell. Next question comes from listener Trim. Oh, by the way, uh, thanks for that staller. That was a uh, great question, um, and we really appreciate having you this week. Uh, next question comes from listener Trim at Trim Go Emo. Always like having Trim uh, getting into the mix here. Trim asks a good score result for our cats, but there were some concerns with the passing and kicking games. I note that we're still yet to hear a prognostication from Mark Wahlberg, the host of Temptation Island. Get into his head. What might be causing apprehension? Well, you know, this is... Mark has been a a long-tenured television host now for some time. And prognosticating about college football might be out of his comfort zone. I totally understand it. Yeah. If you were to ask me... uh, to, to give you the ins and the outs uh, of, you know, what somebody goes through in terms of their, their love connection, what, what might be best for their journey. That's outside of my realm. Yeah. I, all I do is break down all 22 footage. Yeah. Drink now, coffee. Now for, for Mark Wahlberg, he's going into the more interpersonal workings uh, of what relationships really and truly mean. So for me, my only advice to Mark Go outside yourself. Be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. It's difficult to do, but I promise you, it's a step worth taking. It's so worth it. Uh, that's a great. That's a great point by uh, by you, Icon. Great question from Trim. Um, we'll see as we continue. You know, we're we're facing off against the author this week, and we'll see uh, if if Mark Wahlberg decides to write a chapter in his own book. Getting into the mix here on the short side option. Uh, our final question this week comes from a listener at KSU underscore funny 33. Uh, KSU funny asks, Hey, Icon, what's your favorite Cats versus Missouri football memory? 
And that's a great question. That is a great question, and I'm super glad that he brings this into the mix here for us. Um, you know, K-State and Missouri have been playing each other, you know, before they left to go join the Southeastern Conference every year. And usually that game, kind of in the later on stages of uh, that rivalry, was kind of dominated by Missouri. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of from about essentially 2006 on before we got the last one there in, in 2011. But I go back to uh, the Legends' final season on the sideline in part one. Oh, wow, yeah. When I go to, uh, to, to look at a game that I was unfortunately unable to be there, eighth grade basketball tournament. I believe the first game in what is now Bill Snyder Family State. I mean, I think Correct. that was the, the first game where it was unveiled. And Brandon Archer rumbling yeah. down the sideline. And Stan Weber has, and Wyatt have a great call uh, of that interception. That was a game I also do believe was not broadcast. It was only on uh, pay-per-view, maybe, even if even that. Uh, I, the only clips I've seen of that game have been like from the, the K-State production of it, like from what handles the replays and, yeah. and all that stuff. Uh, so really, when I look back at it, that Brandon Archer interception, I remember where I was listening to that game on the radio uh, when, when Brandon Archer uh, is able to pick off Brad Smith, rumble down the sideline for an interception return for a touchdown, which he did last the, the year previous, also against Missouri in Columbia, uh, an interception return for a touchdown. Brandon Archer sealing deal, the deal for K-State in that one. That ranks as my top K-State-Missouri football moment. That's a great one. I always associate that play, for some reason, that and the Teddy Sims pick six. Yeah. Always, I, I just, in my mind's eye, that's, those are always a pair. I think it's just a uh, linebacker intercepting it at about the 35-yard line. And you know, and, I, and I'd have to look back at it. I want to say his was closer to a 50-yard return. Yeah. I think it was right around midfield area, uh, if I remember where. Where old uh, old forty six picked her off and rambled the other way. Man, Brandon Archer was really good. That that's a great game. My favorite, and I know I'm, we're going overtime a little bit here because it's not SD Lou. But the two thousand eleven game. I mean, yeah. that was one where uh, K State had struggled against Missouri. I mean, they kind of had her number there uh, towards the twilight of their time in the Big Twelve. Um, yeah, before they moved to the Southeastern Conference. Right, and uh, but that two thousand eleven game, K State was really coming into their own. Of course, that season, every game felt like a close game. But the Missouri game uh, was one where I thought K-State played a great game. Yeah, a great game from John Hubert that game. I remember he had one rush where it was, down, it was a touchdown run towards the uh, south end zone, uh, and he just bulldozed yeah. Missouri defender. And so uh, 2011 is probably my favorite uh, K-State-Missouri game. But a great question from listener at KSU underscore funny. 33. And our final question this week comes from... We got from, one more in the hopper. We got one more in the hopper. Final question comes from listener Tars Martin. Tars asks, Back in 2011, there were many Mizzou fans in the stands referencing, uh, referring to Missouri defensive tackle Sheldon Richardson as a five-star bum. Are there any current tires you would bestow that label upon? Well, the only one that I think you might be able to point that to is Luther Burden. And I've got a nickname for Luther Burden. What is it? Is it Five Star Bum? Well, unfortunately, no. I, I think he's kind of the real deal. So he, I don't think he is a bum. But Luther 
Beast of Burden. Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty. That's is, is this Chris Berman? You know, in here in the short side option studio. I, <laughs> you know, but uh, Luther Vandross Burden. Yeah, <laughs> a long way you go here with that. Uh, the Velvet Teddy Bear. Uh, but he is the highest rated recruit. I think he might was the number one receiver, maybe a top ten player, regardless of position uh, in his class. This year, regardless. This year, regardless in his class, uh, Luther Burden. Uh, is a five-star player, and I would love to see some Missouri fans be be questioning the validity of his five-star ranking. But through one game uh, in the black and gold at Mizzou, uh, Luther Burton looks like the real deal. But uh, that's that's a guy to keep an eye out on uh, in terms of five-star bum watch uh, when we take a look here at Saturday. My five-star bum, Elijah Drinkwitz, five-star. Five star guy who had, who had some ballyhoo when he when he came up, but I'm not I'm not quite sold on him. Can recruit can recruit his tail off, but um, you know I, I think he makes some questionable calls during games. And one other one other piece on this is I you know K State's been nipped in the bud on some trick plays in the last few years, whether it's a halfback pass or, or some yeah. kind of reverse pass. I, I would almost expect to see something like that on Saturday because Drinkwitz is a guy who who likes kind of those gadget plays and to do some razzle dazzle type stuff. Uh, it may be an opportunity for Luther Burden to be uh, to kind of garner that five star bum. Some weird like he throws an interception. We saw it against Oklahoma in twenty nineteen. Yeah. Kind of as we're going to half, they they uh, pull out the trickery and AJ Parker intercepts it to set up another K State touchdown. You know, really, when I looked at what do you what do you think? kind of odds I can get on Luther Burden throwing an interception on Saturday? Great question. Get take it to a sports book. Take it to a sports book. I'm sure you could get some big-time plus money yeah, on that. I like it. I like that play. That's Take it outside the box there. I like it. Um, all right. Well, D'Lo, I think that kind of wraps it up here for the Ask the Icon segment. One thing I want to mention, this is a huge game, and I uh, we, we, we beat that horse to death here, I think, a little bit in terms of how big the game is. For both K State and Missouri, Missouri's schedule. When you look at it here, after the K State game, they host Abilene Christian, and then they play at Auburn. They welcome Georgia to Faro Field, and then they go on the road to the Swamp to take on Florida. I mean, you drop a game to K State, you're looking at two and four out the gate here pretty quickly before you get to uh, to uh, to the bye week and. You know, maybe they're able to go and, and upset. Uh, they've had some luck against Florida in the past, and you know, who knows with Auburn at this point in time. But uh, needless to say, uh, a big game for Missouri uh, to maybe be able to springboard themselves. We've talked about what it means for K State in terms of really establishing themselves as maybe a little bit more than just a Big Twelve contender, but saying this is a team that is going to be in the rankings throughout the season. And uh, big game here, big stakes for for each side here. Uh, as we uh, we welcome the Tigers here to Manhattan. Yep, absolutely. And with, with Brady Cooks and his inexperience, it's an opportunity for these fans to really have an impact on the game. Uh, if they can be loud and, and rowdy and be wild and fight like cats. That's right. Well, Dell, anything else you want to mention here before we sign off for tonight? No. Ask and answer. <laughs> Folks, that'll do it here for this edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Be sure to tweet at us. Uh, Further questions for Ask the Icon. And also, too, I like to kind of throw out on, on Saturday mornings, hey, what's your score prediction? Be yeah. sure to be sure to play along with us Get here the at the Shortside Option Podcast. 
We love hearing from you guys. Thanks whoever, for whoever gets the whoever gets the closest score prediction, we'll give you a special shout out on next week's podcast. Absolutely, we'll 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 be happy. That's our promise. That's our promise. And uh, for for us here on the short side option, that's all for us. Thanks for listening, and go Cats. <laughs>